This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. It's Tuesday, so that means it's Trek Tuesday. And today, Star Trek Nemesis, the last Next Generation film, which was obviously a very deep personal story for Captain Jean-Luc Picard. I attended a roundtable when the film was first released. We'll hear from the cast featuring a young Tom Hardy and the film's director, Stuart Baird, in a moment. Here on Sci-Fi Talk is my coverage of the radio roundtables I attended for Star Trek Nemesis in 2002. Patrick Stewart returned as Jean-Luc Picard. After Insurrection, I I had a fairly firm feeling, because that film didn't do too well, that that might be the close anyway, until the, the franchise that is Next Generation was given a tremendous boost, and it cannot be overestimated of the addition of John Logan uh, to this world and of course then subsequently Stuart too the the presence of of two outsiders enthusiastic in their different ways has been very very significant and I think it has uh, created in all of us um, uh, an optimism about uh, the possible future for the series but uh, as you can see from your brochure the studio are teasing the world with the thought that this might in fact be the end but a studio executive said to me last week uh, emphasis has to be put on the last word of that sentence the film's director is Stuart Baird who was an editor for films like Superman well I suppose any form of experience is useful yeah it was I mean I had um, worked on lots of sorts of movies, so it, it's all it, it's all useful. This one I just treated like another movie. I hadn't been. I was not an aficionado of, at all of the Star Trek uh, films or world. So I read John Logan's script. I thought it was a good story, and I thought I could. I then I saw some of the other ones, and I thought I could bring something maybe a little bit different to it and uh, so I accepted the challenge but I really treated the story and the film as though there had never been another uh, a previous Star Trek picture I wanted it to stand on its own from an audience and not rely on the TV you know all the back and stuff so whether it does or not I was saying we haven't previewed this picture so I haven't seen it in in front of an audience which is extremely which is almost unique for me Brent Spiner is once again Lieutenant Commander Data. He told us his disdain for websites that leak spoilers. I hate it that that the, the plots of our films and and specific, you know, the whole script is on the internet. It's just I hate that. Uh, it, it's it's so unfair. It's not un, only unfair to us. I mean, you spend you know months working on a story, and then in one day somebody spreads it across the internet, you know. But it's it's also unfair to to people who want to enjoy going to the movies and not knowing what they're they're going to see. I, I've never understood it. To me, it's like it's like opening your Christmas presents a week before Christmas. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, I do understand the sort of sense of power that people have to be able to ruin something for hundreds of other people, but it's really reprehensible, I think. Rick Berman produced his last Star Trek movie in Nemesis. He was asked if this was going to be the last Next Generation film. There is some sense of breaking up that old gang of mine. Uh, As to whether that's going to mean that this is the last, it's certainly not the last Star Trek movie. As to whether it's going to be the last Next Generation movie is, I think, 
yet to be seen. Uh, usually within a two months of when these movies open, I get a call from Sherry Lansing or John Goldwyn at, at Paramount to kind of start the whole process over again. And I, I really think it's uh, it, this has not at all been, been discussed. Uh, the, there's the promotional f phrase that was come up with about uh, uh, the final journey beginning. But um, as to whether the next film is going to be a next generation film, a film using all new characters, or possibly a film using some characters from next generation and some characters perhaps from other series, it's that's all yet to be designed. Marina searches comments on this is the end of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> no. It's awful. It's horrible. You know, Jonathan and I would be in Star Trek for the rest of our lives if they let us, you know. So um he well, he used to say that, and of course now he's this big time movie director and I'm sure he doesn't think that anymore. But you know, when the show ended, we were devastated. So I have these like emotional crises every few years. Another one just happened with the end of this movie. You know, it's pathetic actually. At the end of Generations, I was walking around the sets crying. You know, just walk, <laughs> never going to see Sick Bay again. I couldn't even go on the new shows. You know, like when I went over to Voyager, I hated that our bridge wasn't there. It's the same on Enterprise, you know, I hate that our bridge isn't there because they're on our stages. It's like, get off our stages. I thought they should have just put yellow tape up and conserved them forever. It's, you know, this is where Next Generation was shot and have tours. I really enjoyed Tom Hardy's performance as Shizan. He's gone on to star in some interesting productions since then, including a miniseries on Queen Elizabeth. He tells us about his role and how he prepared for it. I sit in this miserably huge hotel room on the bed, uh, with lots of, surrounded by lots of luxury things, and um, and watch countless episodes and uh, and read my script. It was really boring, and um, and um, eventually I, I realised that he, he, I didn't actually have to copy him, um, and that the character is more like the Prince and the Pauper, or more like Greystoke for me. I mean, he essentially has not had the same circumstantial experiences or the same. Uh, well, he doesn't. Picard doesn't have the same baggage, essentially, as uh, the, the Shinzon carries. So, what I found was much more freeing than with the character that came to a level where anything that you do with this with this boy, um, because essentially he is a, an orphan and uh, and an abused child, who then becomes an emperor and has to sort of be in a. You know, you have this travel, this these these characteristics to play with. Then uh, the movements and the nuances and the shadow moves that therefore I could play with didn't necessarily have to be anything to do with Picard, and therefore that the whole film would be why why are they not like that? So the relationship therefore had a a ground or a basis to work from. Brent Spiner describes the writing process for Nemesis. You know what? They needed me. They needed my help. What could I say? It was it was great. It was uh, a wonderful opportunity for me. It, it happened that John Logan and I are friends. He, as it turns out, is one of the biggest Star Trek fans of all time. How lucky do you get, you know, that this excellent writer is also a huge Star Trek fan and wants to write Star Trek. So uh, I introduced him to Rick. R Rick thought it was a great idea that John write the story and uh, he invited, he said, why don't the three of us sit down and write a story? And I looked around and it seemed like I was the third person he was talking to and uh, so we sat and wrote a story. And I, I really enjoyed that. 
Rick Berman describes the Remens, who are a Romulan race in the film. See, one of the things that John Logan knew that I certainly didn't know was that there was a sister planet to Romulus called Remus. And him being a huge fan of the original series, my being a, a semi-fan of it. And um, when we decided to make this a story about the Remans, and the f we came up with the idea that the Remans lived on a planet that one side was always light and one side was dark, and that these were people who lived on the dark side and were somewhat put off by bright light in a, in a vampirish kind of way. Uh, we decided to do exactly what you said. We decided to go for the uh, for the Nosferatu look. Michael Westmore, who's done all of our makeup for many years and who's a remarkable, multiple Oscar-winning makeup guy, uh, we he's constantly trying to come up with alien looks. I mean, with the television show, we have you know fifteen, twenty a year. Uh, but the, his marching orders in this case were to come up with something slightly Nosferatu-ish. Patrick Stewart tells us about Will Riker and Deanna Troy's wedding. Well, it's a side of Patrick Stewart because uh, some of the some of what is used in the film was actually improvised by me, which I never thought for one moment would make it into the film. The remarks about telling Data to shut up and 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 uh, and you know about fifteen years I've been waiting to say that they were just asides for the amusement of the set. Uh, they were not in the script. And here I return to John Logan, because his contribution can't be overestimated. John was eager for, uh, because of the way the story was going to develop, that at the beginning, at least, we would see Picard having some fun. And what more relaxed an atmosphere than the, the, the wedding of two of his dearest friends and colleagues, and the opportunity to have um, uh, uh, a relaxed and witty time at the expense of you know, some of the people that I've been so serious with over the years. In fact, there was more. That speech got trimmed somewhat. Uh, subsequently, the fun that he has uh, of driving the the the, uh, the all-terrain vehicle down on the on the alien world, which was also shared by the actor playing the role too, because the film was going to very quickly start getting. Uh, disturbing and dark and threatening and dangerous. So that was, I think that was just good structural writing. Another contribution was Marina Sirtis giving her input to design Troy's wedding dress. I actually helped design my wedding dress um, and for my sins I was an idiot because as most brides know you want to be as skinny as you can be on your wedding day. So they built this dress onto a corset so I kept saying, you know, like Scarlett O'Hara, make it tighter, make it tighter. Well, it's fine to be strapped into something, you know, for half an hour in the fitting room when it comes to actually uh, being wearing it for two days. My ribs actually hurt to touch at the end of the first day. You were like, oh, ow, ow. And I was saying with the shoes, make them higher, make them higher, because Jonathan's six foot four and I'm five foot three and a half. And so I wanted to make up some of the difference. And so by the time we actually got to do the dancing at the wedding, I was in agony. So much like my own wedding, in fact, <laughs> but uh, it was it was fun. It was nice to start the movie with a party. And we did start shooting that first. There's more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Here's more sci-fi talk with Tony Tolado. Stuart Baird tells us about directing this experienced cast. Well, you're walking into a family that have obviously, yeah, so there's a little bit of adjustment. But, I mean, the, the 
before I got the job, I presumably they understood, uh, we talked about with Rick Berman and um, what I was going to do and this sort of energy, you know, what I felt about the story. But really, a film director's job is to tell a story. And that's what I was trying to do, not look behind my shoulder at what other people had done with the Star Trek. If, obviously, I had Rick Berman and John Logan, who are extremely uh, great aficionados of the Star Trek. So if I was going to tread on, heavily tread on some Star Trek toes, they would say, I don't think we can quite do that or whatever. And I was walking into a, a half the unit had been done the previous so the whole enterprise end of it, you know, the costumes had been designed, the, the graphics, and the, we changed a bit of those, and the enterprise itself. Although I lit it with Jeff Kimball, my mate Jeff, who was a cameraman, uh, we lit it a bit differently, a little moody, a little darker, even that, than it possibly had been done before. Um, but then we had the, the, the scimitar world, which was, which was for me, you know, that was the new one, that was the fun part. And of course, finding the guy, which is the essence of the picture, who's to play the nemesis, to play the clone, which was tough, to find somebody who not only, because I, I absolutely had to be someone who looked enough like Patrick Stewart that you weren't sitting there through all these dialogue scenes thinking of oh, ridiculous and without too much prosthetics which we hardly put any on Tom and also he had to be I wanted him to be unknown so there was no screen baggage and young because I thought all this angst this sort of uh, dysfunctional virtual dysfunctional teenager type angst who am I type thing came over better for a, a young guy and yet he had to have the presence to go head to toe with Patrick Stewart which isn't easy because Patrick's such a strong screen presence so I hope you all feel, I do, that Tom came off in spades so, and good villain For Tom Hardy, he tried very hard to keep shins on real You had to maintain a detachment from the entire uh, the entire clone. I mean, I don't know any clones, so I mean, you, you had to use your imagination in, in, in a spectre's life, and as well as the fact that this is a, a human being that you're playing. And not, I mean, I mean, I, I know it's set in it's science fiction and it's set in the future, and 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 you know, we don't know as yet there are races like the Remans, who could well be. Um, however, you, you have to sort of hang a human or a theme essentially on an essence of character of, of a human being as realistic as possible so it would be wrong to i mean of course you use techniques and dramatic effects and you can you can ham things up or you can slap the thigh and give it all this the slaver rattling moments as and when needs be but essentially you have to have something to to hang character on otherwise it's just mimicry and it, that, that and it's a mockery in a way a question posed to patrick stewart was he involved in the casting process for shinzon Yes, I was in, closely involved in that process. Uh, many, many scores and scores of actors were seen and interviewed, and I wasn't there for them. I did, I did participate in the screen testing of four actors before Tom, all of them very interesting. And uh, the screen tests were done as if we were shooting the movie. Uh, we felt that we hadn't found the person. It, it was clearly a difficult role to cast. You needed a young man, a young man with great presence and charisma, um, intensity, and someone who might in some way resemble me. 
it came about because I called an ex-agent of mine in London with whom I'm still very friendly and said to her, I'm told w that they have seen every young actor in London. Is it true and is there anybody we might have overlooked? And she said, yes, I have a client. He wasn't seen because he was filming abroad, was never available. His name is Tom Hardy. He's brilliant. And I said, could you please somehow get him on tape? Well, I don't know whether anybody's told you this, but Tom taped himself in a hotel room in Morocco. And what he did was to, didn't even do the script, he sort of improvised around the pages that had been sent him. And I remember my wife and I sitting in the screening room, looking at this bizarre bit of film. It was so dark, you could barely make out the features of the person. Um, but there was clearly something of extraordinary intensity going on on screen, and Rick felt the same way. And so we waited until he was free, and he was flown over to L.A., and we did a screen test with him. And uh, it was one of those uh, blessed moments when, when it's over, you all look at one another and just know that uh, this is the person who will be offered the role. It's. I mean, we're in the middle of casting Line in Winter now, so I know what that feels like. Uh, and the fact that we also felt that with Tom we were virtually introducing a new actor into Hollywood as well, so there was a real freshness. About he wasn't coming carrying baggage with him, which was very important in that he would be... You know, we didn't want to have other associations with this character. And his presence on the screen is so potent. It's, uh, I think we all feel quite smug that we, you know, we hung on for Tom. Let's hear it from the other side. Was it intimidating to do that screen test with Patrick Stewart? Was asked of Tom Hardy. It was terrifying, sir. But um, but so is this. <laughs> you know? I think it all is. That doesn't mean you don't do it, though. You know, uh, and courage is not necessarily in somebody. Uh, it's not necessarily. I don't know. You just you have to go and do it to realize you can get through it. Anticipation is always the the worst. Is the beast. You know, the actual doing of it can be you know, fairly painless. It's a bit like um, you know, BCG jabs or flu jabs or something, or tattoos, or death, I suppose. Marina Sirtis was very thrilled that Troy had more to do in Star Trek Nemesis. This was great for me. I actually felt very, very gratified when I read this script. I sort of had an inkling that I was going to have a good part in this movie because John Logan was such a big fan, fan of the character, and so I knew that he would uh, do her some justice. Stuart Baird tells us what really grabbed him to make this movie. Well, I, the story appealed to me. The story appealed to me. I mean, whether it's in space or whatever, I mean, it's the, it's the story of this, uh, this guy, uh, Patrick Stewart, who sort of had a midlife crisis. Everybody's leaving him, so, so to speak. He's, he's analyzing what has he done with his life. You know, he's like a lot of guys, including myself, you concentrate on your career all the time, and then suddenly the career doesn't seem so important because you reach a moment in life where other things are happening which makes you re reassess and um, then he finds that he actually has got he's never had a children or anything like that in the family now he's got a son a sort of son stolen from him and, and the kid looks on him as a as like a, an illegitimate child who's been born to a man and although he knows the man didn't know that he had him, he still feels all this resentment. And the guy, although it's not his fault, he still feels all sense of re uh, of responsibility. And you know that's an interesting concept for within the within this context of a you know a Star Trek movie. And I thought that was interesting. And as I said, it was it was fun to look for the actor. I mean, as I said, it is all larger than life. You know, you can't you try to play it real, sort of. You don't want to make play it too broad, but you can't 
It's, once again, it's the tone, getting, I think, film directing, although I'm not a great oodles uh, experience of that, but, but as working on many, many movies over the years, it's getting the tone right of what the movie is supposed to be, and then the um, the characters within that tone, and then the pace of how they develop. You know, it, it's a, an interesting, it, always fascinating process between the script and the the final product. Brent Spiner talks up Star Trek Nemesis back then in 2002. Well, I think it's a good ride. I think this movie is really, uh, I think it's a good movie. You know, it's it's been a season of action films. I mean, a year of action films, lots of them. I think we have a really good action-adventure movie, but I think we also benefit from having a movie that's about something and has some emotional depth, as well as action-adventure. And if people enjoy that kind of thing, then I think they'll enjoy this movie. The objective of, of the studio has always been to try to find a movie that crossed the lines of the general public and, and kind of got beyond Star Trek fans into the general public. And I don't know that we've ever been particularly successful at that. When John Logan started writing this, I think his perspective was, let's write a movie for the fans and for the people who really love this. And as a result, ironically, it turned out to be a movie that I think a, a general audience might enjoy. Star Trek Nemesis did have some good and some bad to it. I always felt that Star Trek films should be larger in scope, and this seemed like an episode, really a B episode. But there were some action-packed scenes, as the last Next Generation film and Tom Hardy's performance make it a worthy to any DVD collection. Recently, I spoke to Jonathan Frakes about Star Trek Nemesis, and he asked me this question. Boy, what went wrong there? Um, I think there was too much Shizan and Picard. Too much bickering back and forth. And yeah. I, I think that was missing. But the action sequences were amazing. Yeah, yeah. it sort of introduced Tom Hardy to the movie world. It sure did. Yeah. Sure did. You know, he shook hands with everybody in that, in that round table that day. <laughs> he did. He went around the room. It was really cool. And, and Marina was just entertaining us. I mean, we were just all, we, we had to sh be quiet so we wouldn't laugh during the recordings because so, she was so funny. She's a riot. Yeah. And I, the, my biggest memory is actually leaving the room, and Stuart Baird was there with his pugs. <laughs> it was really wild. But, uh, his yeah. pugs? His dogs? Yeah, he had his dogs there, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Trek Tuesday. Back next week, this is Tony Tolato.